2: Ballet Bird is a streaming site designed by former Pacific Northwest Ballet principal dancer, Julie Tobiasin. Ballet Bird offers ballet classes for anyone at any level of training that you can do from the comfort of your home or studio. After many years performing as a professional ballerina and decades of teaching at all levels of ballet, Julie is excited to offer her training for more people like you. Classes are designed for large and small spaces and for all levels. The low monthly membership fee is less than one in-person class and is accessible 24-7 with new classes added every month. Ballybird is a great addition to your regular in-studio training as well. Take advantage of the 10-day free trial and use the discount code COD25 to get 25% off through June 30th, 2023 at Ballybird.com. Whether you are just starting your ballet journey today or you're a seasoned professional, Ballybird is the place for you. Visit Ballybird.com or click the link in the show notes.
1: I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro.
2: And I'm Michael Sean Bree, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance.
3: This week on Conversations on Dance, we are joined by author Alice Robb, whose memoir Don't Think Dear chronicles her experiences as a young ballet student. We talk about the creative process for the book, her decision to include far-reaching studies on pain tolerance, dancer psychology, and other subjects to give context to a dancer's life and experience, and the book's place in recent high-profile conversations that have arisen about whether or how problematic ballets past and present really are. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us, Alice. Your, your book is Making Waves in the ballet World. Um, it was particularly interesting for me because we were at SAB during the same years. <laughs> um, so I, I just want to go back to the beginning of um, the, the genesis of this book. What, did you start writing kind of just like experiences or did you hash out a concept and then go from there? What was What were the early moments of your book?
4: Oh my gosh well thank you so much for having me on also very happy to be talking to you guys um yeah so I would say this book the Genesis of this book it was very much a slow burn um I would say it it started in my um in my journal as uh, as many of my ideas do so I think long before I ever thought I might write a book about ballet I was just you know just kind of you know I'm a big I'm a big uh, morning pages, journaler girl. And, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I um, I was doing some freelance journalism in the years before this book. And I think ballet would come up from time to time. I wrote a profile of Alexandra Ansonelli in like 2016. So that was a few years before I had started thinking about this book. But I think that kind of brought me back into the world of ballet and writing about ballet a little bit. Um, but I think it was something that that was always kind of percolating. And um, you know, yeah, I mean, I stopped I stopped dancing when I was 15. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never really and I there were there were years, I mean not get into it, but there were years when I was certainly not consciously like following the dance world. I was not going to the ballet, I was not in touch with my with my ballet friends. Um, but I think it was always something that was kind of simmering in the background. And then um as for like this actual book, um, at first, when I started, you know, thinking about, okay, like, actually, I do want to spend spend a few years delving back into this world, I thought it was going to be much more academic. So the original pitch for this book um, was like, I thought I was going to do like, just a sort of traditional group biography of, you know, four women dancers in history. Um, but then just as I was working on it, kind of I kept triggering memories, and I was writing more personally. And then, um, and then I think as I started to explore my personal story a bit more, I, um, you know, started got back in touch with my old SAB friends. And um, finally, the kind of final click was realizing that I wanted to be about more than me. I wanted to include um, other, my, you know, my classmates' stories as well.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. One of the things that you talk about and Michael and I um, were talking about the specific part of your book was like the loss of identity. Um, mm-hmm. After you stop dancing, there's like these phases that you go through of accepting the loss and, you know, kind mm-hmm. of like you're saying, there's a period of time where you just step away from the ballet world because it's like too painful. And then you kind of come back mm-hmm. to it. So I wonder if this is kind of part of that heal- healing process. I don't know if you want to maybe say that, but kind of a way to for you to go back, look at your experience with ballet and kind of digest it?
4: Oh my gosh, so much. I mean, I think this book, writing this book was so therapeutic for me in ways that I didn't even know I needed um, because I think my first impulse was just avoidance of ballet. Um, I think I was not really grappling with the way that I was still being impacted by it. And then I think really the most, yeah, I mean, to use the term Healing part of this of the research and writing process was reconnecting with my sab classmates and kind of um realizing how many shared experiences we had gone through even you know without being in touch and it was very like validating and just having other people to process this very specific experience with um was yeah it was was really interesting and I've heard from you know a lot of readers who seem to have had similar experiences so that's also been
1: Mm -hmm. very
3: nice yeah right yeah I mean I I related to a lot of it I loved some of the things that like you know I guess seemingly silly thoughts that we have you know like when you sat down Mm -hmm. to watch the performance and you were too full you know to perform (laughs) you're watching the performance like that kind of thing I mean or just (laughs) thinking of like you want to like you have this idea of what you want your body to be like and you want to stay long. Mm-hmm. You're you're scared of bulking up. Like I remember I started going to the gym for the first time and like lifting weights. And then I yeah. was teaching and I was like, oh no, my arm is too big now. It doesn't look like my shoulder is too close to my head. It doesn't make the right line to show my kids. <laughs> like that yeah. kind of stuff that stays with us. Uh, even though we're no longer like we, you know, that we can we could shed that, but it's like part of the the process of of moving on I guess
4: yeah yeah I mean I only started I think like for years. year like it's so ridiculous because like I literally as I said like I stopped dancing at 15 but I was in my like late 20s the first time I like I was afraid of like touching a weight I was like <laughs> mm-hmm. um and then I finally started like went to some hit class or something and I was like oh this is great like I feel really strong now but you know it just was mm-hmm. like so ingrained
1: I do the same thing with like running or something. I'm like, I can't run. It's going to be so bad on my joints or, (laughs) or like, even, I don't know if you guys like sometimes with, when I wake up with like my necks out or something, I'll be like, oh my gosh, like right into that panic of like, how am I going to rehearse today or perform? And it's like matter, like all you have to do is just like sit at a computer today. Like you'll be fine. (laughs) It's so funny how those, um, things really just stick with us. So I wonder, um, You know, it's one thing that's been brought up a lot in terms of your book is that people have been mentioning that it's refreshing to have someone talk about ballet that didn't have a career in ballet and stopped early Mm -hmm. and they're just like a different perspective. So how do you feel that that does, in fact, give you a unique perspective in this conversation?
4: Yeah, well, I think it's a perspective that's not heard from often, but I actually think it's an incredibly common perspective. And I remember because I mean, of course, you know, so many kids start ballet, fall in love with ballet, um, dedicate a lot of our childhoods um and our you know mental energy and our bodies to pursuing it, but of course don't have careers. Um and I mean I remember like, you know, as a kid going to summer programs and kind of looking around and just I think that was kind of the uh you know, realizing there are all these kids all over the country who, you know, of, Mm -hmm. of very, with varying levels of, you know, training and, you know, different skills who are just, you know, most of us are not going to make it. And, and we're all trying so hard. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that it's not a perspective that's, I think most of, I mean, this was a big part of why I wanted to write this book um, was that I think most of the memoirs out there are by dancers who have been, you know, had celebrated careers. And, you know, I love those memoirs. Obviously, I read many of them in reading this book, in in writing this book. Um, but I think it's also, you know, like some of these issues that we've already been talking about, like the identity and things. Um, I mean, I think people are sometimes surprised that, like, someone like me who again stopped as a teenager could still have been so impacted by ballet um and I think when I first started thinking about this book I like because there haven't been many books like this I like wondered if that was actually like a weird personal quirk that I had just never been able to just get over this and um it was yeah it was um, you know, really through, through talking to other people and old classmates and stuff that I realized that, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we were doing this during a really formative time in our lives and we're all still kind of living with, um, the, you know, the positive and negative effects of of growing up in the Valley world.
3: Right. I mean, I think your, your perspective, I mean, I don't know of any book like that. And I think it's even, there are still very few books even written by people that did have careers, but were not major careers, Mm -hmm. you know, Tony Bentley. I remember reading winter season and just being so, um, shook by it because it was a completely different perspective than what we were used to. So I think you really, it definitely like, it certainly adds something to this conversation because, um, you know, as, as, as much as we love those books, it's, it is a different, Thing, but you know, I, I think even your book is much. You ha- have the ability. You kind of have, of course, you're talking about your personal experiences, but then mm-hmm. there are a lot of moments where you zoom out. Like, um, I I really enjoy how you take problematic or you know the patriarchal components of ballet, but then you mm-hmm. you put it in the larger framework of just kind of what women in the world experience. You know, what how did you kind of um decide that you would that would be something you would tackle, like that sort of ju- juxtaposition.
4: Yeah. I mean, I would say a lot of as far as like deciding, making these decisions, a lot of them just kind of, you know, emerged organically. Mm-hmm. Um, like I didn't really set out with a thesis. But um, yeah, I mean, as I was thinking about the things that I had taken from ballet, I mean, it just became, you know, of course, I've lived half of my life outside of the ballet world. Um, so I feel very, you know, um, you know, able to speak to like just the culture of just kind of, you know, being a woman in the non-dancing world. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, it's certainly not, it became clear to me that it's not that ballet has like invented, you know, the <laughs> patriarchy. It's just maybe a bit like more extreme in certain in certain um, instances. But um mm-hmm. You know, like I quit ballet and I didn't it's not like I then walked off into the sunset into a world where no one ever looked at each other's bodies and um, it didn't matter what you looked like. It was less extreme. Um, But, you know, all those things were still there.
1: Yeah. How do you think that, um, you know, when we're talking about the that aspect, the, you know, the patriarchy, how do you feel like women running companies or stepping into positions of power, choreographers can shift that?
4: Well, I mean, I think even just their existence, their presence is so huge and just, you know, them kind of being there as potential role models. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily feel like qualified to, you know, (laughs) issue recommendations um and i would also add that like my book is pretty specific like i you know it's pretty specifically about like a certain time period um mm-hmm. and kind of like and more about like the after effects of that specific meaning right. yeah. period mm-hmm. um right but, sure yeah. yeah i understand
3: mm-hmm. yeah uh something else that i found really, really interesting about the book is that you bring in all these studies and some are things that i would not have ever Thought to be relevant. I mean, of course, I knew, you. immediately know they're relevant. But it's like if I were writing a book, I wouldn't have <laughs> sought out you know these really interesting studies about pain or mm. um. Let's see, I, I just jotted down. I was like, as I would go through, I would so say like, here is another study you're bringing up. You, you know, you have uh studies on like dancers being in the zone. You have mm. uh, a study about how hava just dancing that brings people <laughs> it immediately elevates your mood. You have a study. About people, kids wearing junk, what we call junk, you know, wearing not uniform Mm -hmm. and how that uh, affects their um, self-esteem and then studies about mirrors, the presence of mirrors. Like as soon as I, I made a joke, like my first day I was staging a ballet and I had just read your book and they were like oh we could be in the studio with or without mirrors and I was like well it's the first day we'll do no mirrors because I know this study now that says <laughs> <that's> a... <laughs> no, but uh, I'm just curious how you decided that that was something that you wanted to bring in or like how you even started to research and bring the... how did you find those and then bring them into your work
4: oh yeah I mean I'm just a massive nerd and my (laughs) background is actually in science journalism um my first book was about totally different was about the science of dreaming and I've done a lot of like a lot of my freelance journalism has been in the like kind of more academic space um so it was just kind of like that's just kind of where my my rabbit holes go is into like the scholarship and just kind of googling around on like Google Scholar and various academic, academic journals. But yeah, I mean, I thought those study, it was so like, it's just amazing all the things that have been studied as well. Mm-hmm. Like that, you know, someone actually, you know, designed this experiment of like having like college students take a class with or without like a ballet skirt and then, you know, mm-hmm. fill out
1: surveys about how to their book. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I really like the one um about Hava Nagila because they were talking too mm-hmm. about like how you we were talking in that section about how babies too just like that natural motion makes them happy and like my son is nine months old and just like sometimes mm-hmm. I'll just dance to him and it just like he moves around and it is just something yeah. that's so natural and you can see it just like bring this joy when he doesn't even know that that you know what that yeah. means you know it's not like he has any consciousness as to what's going on. So I really, I really like that. But I do want to delve into while we're talking about these specific um things Mm -hmm. that you were the studies that you were highlighting. The one about pain. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that one Mm because that was so fascinating. If you could give us like a little rundown for our listeners, I thought it was just really an interesting part of the book in particular.
4: Yeah. So there's this test to measure pain tolerance where you stick your hand in a bucket of ice water um and um you know you tell the experimenter both when you start to feel pain and then when it reaches a point that you want to withdraw your hand from the bucket and you know there's no incentive you know other than i guess sort of you know actually impressing the researcher or something <laughs> right. um and yeah i found that dancers um kept their hands in the bucket much longer I think it was like almost twice as long as non dancers, and then, um you know at first the the authors of the study thought, oh, like maybe dancers actually experience the pain differently, but then they found that actually the dancers were more in tune, they were so in tune with their bodies that they registered they could experience the pain and register that it was pain earlier than the non dancers, which just makes it even more you know remarkable that they were tolerating
1: it for so much longer I'm just like i'll take it <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> at some point thinking like well, oh this feels good if my foot was swollen, and this would feel or my hand was swollen this would feel great right <laughs>
3: <laughs> energetics are a sustainable australian-made brand that specialize in creating world-class dancewear for the stars of tomorrow perform and feel your best at every stage of your dance journey in energetics premium high performance fabrics See their entire range online at energetics.com. That's E-N-E-R-G-E-T-I-K-S dot com. And for all listeners, there's a 20% discount on all Energetics products using the code COD20 at the checkout. Available until the end of September 2023.
1: After nearly a decade-long hiatus from live performance, Chris Masters Dance returns with Mausoleum at Brooklyn Academy of Music's Fishman's Piece, June 2nd to 4th. Reckoning with the dance field's history of systematic exploitation, Chris Master's Dance is building a mausoleum, a place to acknowledge and remember the past that has been laid to rest, making way for tomorrow that sets aside unsustainable forms of life and work. Don't miss Mausoleum at BAM this June 2nd through 4th. Tickets are available at bam.org slash mausoleum or click the link in the show notes.
0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: But then it's like you dive in, like that's part one aspect of that whole section of the book. But Mm -hmm. then you explore the idea that like it can be almost like sort of dancers can almost fetishize pain we do you know yeah. and you know it's um it's interesting like it becomes this thing where it's like do we do we are we inclined to that like do we like that or did dance teach us to like that like the sort of chicken or egg thing that happens yeah. in, in in a few different cases in the book it's like oh also when you talk about i think you you call it the doctrine of passivity and um and like that is another really interesting thing to explore that you you take on in the book it's like are we inclined just naturally as people to be passive or does dance then amplify that or did it not exist like all that sort of stuff that you're you're weaving in and out of the book I think it's um it's very it's very interesting like how did you what when did you start to dive into that particular side of things like um chicken or egg where are we naturally Mm passive or does dance like just at least amplify that
4: yeah i mean i think it was just sort of thinking about my own childhood and kind of development and i think like you know i definitely as a kid fit that stereotype of like i was very quiet and shy and um it was very comforting to like be in a room where the rules were clear and you know even if i couldn't always conform to them like at least i kind of knew what they were and um of course you didn't have to say anything um and yeah i mean i definitely like heard that from a number of a number of other people I read that in various books um mm-hmm. but yeah i mean you know i think the question of like whether i was drawn to ballet because of that and then kind of created this feedback loop where ballet mm-hmm. encouraged and rewarded it um I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think? You're the professional dancers. No, no,
3: I, I, it's just, yeah, it's always, I mean, it's a hard thing to unpack there, but I think it's, it's certainly, I, I I think in your book, you really do a great job of kind of bringing up these contradictions, like ballet is just full of mm-hmm. contradictions. And yeah. there are just, there are questions you cannot answer, but I think you bring them up in a way that is important and and certainly like provoked thoughts that I had not really explored. And one thing that Mm -hmm. I want to bring up that I I think you're the only person I've heard say this um, because there has been a lot of, I feel like it happens every so often, like now, you know, there have been a lot of articles about Balanchine and his behavior versus Mm -hmm. you know the art i think everyone we all agree we love the ballets you know Mm -hmm. um but um i think at some point you know you're going through things that are certainly like definitely problematic i think
4: Mm
3: -hmm. certainly by our standards to 2023 standards but Mm -hmm. even at the time i think they probably gave people you know pause for concern but Um, then you, you basically just say, you, you kind of think, well, like if all these women are, they're choosing to, you know, give their lives to him and they're not, Mm -hmm. you know, mired in trauma, I guess, then you have to like, Mm -hmm. let them have their experience. We can't assign them their feelings. And I I feel like I've never heard anyone say that. I thought Mm -hmm. that was interesting.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I like, you know some of my teachers you know like certainly continue to celebrate Balanchine and share their experiences with him and it just wouldn't feel right at all for me as a you know younger woman who grew up in a different time to just come in and say you know you can't feel that way about your life um i think we have right. to you know both respect the women who worked with him and and how they feel about their experiences while also you know um Thinking about how to pass on um, his ballets without necessarily, you know, fetishizing everything he ever said and did.
3: Right. We. I mean, we had Jennifer Holman's on um, mm-hmm. and we were talking about her book, which I just loved because I felt like it mm-hmm. was the first time I had um, read uh, the depiction of Balanchine as a man, you know, it's mm-hmm. always and it's certainly the way, like, I, you know, I, I love balancing. I, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I went to SAB. I spent my life in a balancing company yeah. and, you know, it it kind of, it makes you feel nice to have this like tingly idea that made mm-hmm. like something that like be, bigger and better than yourself. But I, I also thought it was equally fascinating to just get a real inside view about like who he was as a person, because that is not mm-hmm. something we get to explore but um, yeah. I think we... Well,
4: I remember... Oh, I just want to say, did you see the documentary in Balanchine's classroom?
3: Yes. Which there, there is oh, a moment really I want good. to talk yeah. about in there that you reference, but go okay. ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll um, circle back.
4: <laughs> well, I remember actually seeing that movie it was the first time I had ever seen footage of Balanchine. And it was somehow so, like... Like, I, I don't know. It was just such a, like, kind of moment of, like, I'd, like, grown up just, like, hearing... You know, hearing and thinking so much about him that he had just become like not a person, mm. but just like an, an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, there was just something uh, very kind of, yeah.
3: Almost jarring. It was, like
4: very humanizing and jarring to be like, oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah I feel like so, our generation like knows him through the steps, right. And, and the ballets really is how I feel connected to it. So it is, you know, interesting, like you're saying to see that other side. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: Yeah. And and that's funny. I haven't thought about that, but I had that same moment. Um, Granted it was for something different. I think it was a a documentary and there was footage Mm -hmm. of Balanchine and Stravinsky. And I remember how jarring it was to hear him speak because yeah. up until that point, I had only—it's like Rebecca was saying—like I knew him through the steps, and mm-hmm. it, it was very easy to divorce him from any sort of humanity. Just like yeah. this god-like figure, genius, who yeah. you know, who when you dance that way, like we all know how freeing that feels. It feels different, or I think to us, it felt different from other ways of moving. You know, like you you do his ballets, or like you you learn certain things about the technique and how you're meant to move bigger or like this is supposed to be Mm -hmm. you know the musicality of things but it 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 was uh i remember being like oh he's just a human being and his voice is like kind of funny and you know (laughs) (laughs) um you know this little like facial tick and you know wow this this giant is actually just still a person yeah very interesting yeah uh i want to talk wait oh sorry (laughs)
1: I know what you want to talk about. Okay, <laughs> yeah, go there. Go. yeah, yeah. Let's. Yeah, I don't want to forget
3: because um, I do think it's interesting. Like you know, th- there are those those things where you're like, that would that would not be okay today, and
2: mm-hmm. or you
3: question like why um, why people did accept things, and then then you it's because they felt like attached to something larger than than themselves, but then. And when you're once removed, and so let's say we're having like a, a person staging a ballet, and it's like mm-hmm. without without the the genius actually present in the room, and you're just doing the steps, but um, that person, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know, if Balanchine ever acted like that. Maybe he, he didn't, but there's a, a moment where someone's coaching in in Balanchine's classroom, and mm-hmm. I think we all kind of just went like, oh, this is. This is not great for for now, and um, it's uh, someone coaching an ABT principal, and the, this principal, who we, you know, Rebecca and I both know and love and adore, and is the sweetest person, is mm-hmm. just like in tears, and we're like, well, maybe we could not be doing that today. I don't know if she yeah. needed that one today.
4: <laughs> um, so I guess like that's so interesting not a question. That you had but... that's a moment that I yeah no I'm very interesting that you like had the same reaction as as I did because you're obviously you know familiar with the rehearsal norms of today um but yeah I mean I think what I noticed was like I think this kind of happens in the like next generation right where like the person who could be flexible and could be maybe you know I mean take even the example of like my title which you know I know some people have had feelings about um but it's like Maybe Balanchine said don't think to a dancer who was overthinking and needed to hear that. But then mm-hmm. it gets passed down as this kind of doctrine uh, and these like sacred words and just becomes calcified into something, into something harsher.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did want to talk about that because, you know, there has been this conversation, the name of your book is Don't Think Dear. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. there has been people who have brought up the fact that there is another, you know, part of it that don't think dear, just do, right, Mm -hmm. to get out of your head. So was that like a conscious reason that you presented the title in this way? Give us a little bit of insight into your thought process behind that.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, I do discuss the just do part Mm -hmm. um in my final chapter um and i think part of that is kind of like tracks with the evolution of my thinking um about that phrase and also kind of ballet as a whole um but yeah i mean don't think dear was something that was repeated to me um and stuck with me um and i think it's also about like as I was just saying, like, uh, it's not an accusation, the title is not an accusation. It's about mm-hmm. something that um, took on a different meaning when it was once removed from the person right. who had said mm-hmm. it. Mm.
3: Mm-hmm. I, yeah, and I, this is something that I feel like just generally nuance can be stripped from the conversation, but I think mm-hmm. that you offer a very nuanced point of view. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because it gets very like camp pro balancing camp anti balancing Mm -hmm. or, you know, that sort of thing. But I think it's not that at all. I mean, even like Jennifer Homans' book, I thought was just Mm -hmm. so wonderful. It made me, Mm -hmm. it amplified my love for and connection to the ballets. But then, Mm -hmm. you know, people got upset by certain stories that were told. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think they're like, like the way you deal with it in the book, like exactly what you're talking about is the way that it was once removed it took on a different meaning you know it's no longer you know the the genius himself saying it to you and you're you're connected to this higher not higher power but you're like not bouncing himself but like that the art is a higher power it's almost a religion Mm -hmm. and then but then it's he's not there it's someone else repeating it it kind of strips away and then you uh, you mentioned it in the last chapter and you think about like like what if he had said that to you and you kind of like strip away your own the way that you can get in your own way and you get in your own head i mean cuz i certainly was that kind of dancer too maybe i needed him to just <laughs> to say don't think dear
4: to <laughs>
3: but yeah it's, i think it's just so much more nuanced and complicated and um it's something that you really you cover in the book it's like and even even just saying on loving and leaving ballet it's like just those mm-hmm. two words it's like Two things can be true. You can love something and leave it. It Just because you left, it doesn't mean it was this horrible thing. Uh, it, there are contradictions in it, but it's, um, you know, it's a, a nuanced portrait of the experience of an artist.
4: Thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like most people who have read the book have have um, understood right. the nuance. I think that, like, you know, yeah, the title is also a little bit intentionally, you know, provocative. Um, but yeah, I think one critic called my book like an unrequited love letter or something, which I kind of liked But mm-hmm.
3: yeah. I think, well, I mean, how many people feel that way? I'm sure, like yeah. you know, probably. <laughs> I mean, principal ballerinas probably feel like their their autobiographies <laughs> would be an unrequited love letter to ballet. It's yes. Yeah.
4: Well, one thing I liked, um which I mean, I, this is in the book, but like, I, uh, there's a Susan Sontag essay where she says that like dancers are she's never met anyone who has hard themselves on themselves as dancers and talks about like baryshnikov berating himself after a performance mm-hmm. and like it's sad <laughs> yeah but i mean i've also heard from a lot of people who like you know pursued a different pursuit you know acting or academia or music to a really to a pretty high degree as kids and teenagers and ends up with like a similar relationship with with mm-hmm. their Heart.
1: yeah I, I we always Michael and I always say this that there's no better employee than a former dancer because <laughs> we will work so hard more harder than yeah we, do. we don't realize that everyone around yeah. us I mean a quarter of what <laughs> we feel the need to do yeah so I do well, think you know, yeah
3: no I just I'm thinking about when you said in the pain study that there is no incentive I'm mm-hmm. like we don't need incentive. Like we are just like we will be competitive for nothing. Like I will I will like, you know what I mean? It's like there there isn't another person in the study with you, but you're just like, I I probably would want to impress that person. Absolutely. We would, would act wanna, like yeah. that. You know, we <laughs> um,
1: so cuckoo. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about this larger conversation that's happening right now because there have been lots of articles happening. Your book is a big part of this discourse. So I just wonder how that makes you feel. And did you expect that this book would kind of like stir up, um, be a part of this conversation that's kind of like stirring right now?
4: Um, I mean, I didn't know what to expect. You never know if a book will just get it land or if it'll just get ignored. I mean, I'm very happy Mm -hmm. that people seem to be reading it. I think it's really interesting that the podcast came out and, um, Jennifer Holman's book came out all around the same time. Um, I mean, maybe something's just been kind of brewing for a while. I mean, I remember when, you know, when Me Too first hit, kind of wondering what was going to come out of the ballet world. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense within the larger cultural conversation we're having about, you know, the art and the artist and, um, you know, kind of how to think about powerful men. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, also, like, if 10 years ago, you know, Jennifer Holmes' last book, she predicted that ballet was was dying. And I think we've seen that, you know, actually, like, ballet is, I think, like, kind of really popular right now and feels very, um, like, very much in the conversation in a, in a way that I feel like it wasn't even really in my childhood. Um. It, yeah,
1: I. It was funny. I was talking to someone recently, and we were talking about ballet, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I've seen all these articles. Ballet's so toxic. Mm-hmm. It's just so terrible." And I just wonder, like, if you've encountered anyone that's just kind of having that black and white perspective on this conversation, and like what you might say to someone who's interpreting it that way.
4: Yeah, I mean, look, it's frustrating when you know there have been a couple of articles that I felt like kind of picked out the most salacious bits of my book and those are in there. You know, they didn't it's not like they were making stuff up, but that you know, you can take things out of context. And um right. you know it it happens. It's kind of but you see how things get a little bit um distorted and then you become a representative of something that you I think mm-hmm. but you know the book is out there. And right, people can, yeah, and I like,
3: yeah, that's what I said. I think, I think it was really, yeah. I think once you read the book, you see that it is not that, and that it is a very nuanced portrait of what we experience. Like, I I mean, so much of what you bring up in the book is completely relatable, I think, to almost any dancer, Maybe, maybe not the most prized, you know. The person that had the easiest path um but i what think it, still maybe I mean, yeah. yeah i know maybe yeah. maybe I, maybe that doesn't exist i mean you, you bring up plenty of people yeah. like the way like i don't know margot fontaine's experience or misty copeland's oh God, experience people like that that, yeah. that we you know think of as like certainly
1: making it yeah you know. yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> as much yeah. as one can make it right yeah just, they have You know, everyone has things that they deal with in this art form.
1: Yeah.
4: Yeah. And I mean, I think this came up in the chapter on like body image and body dysmorphia, but that the way you're perceived often just it just doesn't necessarily have much to do with how you feel. Mm-hmm. experience
1: yourself. well and that was interesting in that body dysmorphia you're talking about just like mm-hmm. being in front of a mirror all the time and i'm sure we can all relate mm-hmm. as not being in front of a mirror anymore that helps a lot <laughs> you know mm-hmm. yeah, i think we still like see all those things when we are in front of a mirror but we have the power to like take it away from us or like it's yeah cool. just see myself like in the mirror when i go to the bathroom in the day <laughs> like, it? i'm like oh, cool. yeah I kept smeared and has been for hours and i would never that would never would have happened as a dancer, you know, it's just like there's, yeah, it's just some things like that are just always there for us. And then when they get taken away, you suddenly then have that perspective of how um, things are different. But while we're talking about this like discourse, I did want to bring up um, the New York Times article. Gia Coralis was Mm -hmm. talking about um, feminism and as it relates to this bigger conversation. She says, quote, the feminist case for ballet is right there on stage. It's freedom and his choreography. Balanchine made space for women in particular and for each woman to be free. End quote. I've seen a lot of Balanchine dancers online sharing that. And so I'm just curious, like sharing that as um, they agree with that statement that Gia made. Mm -hmm. I just wonder your thoughts on that.
4: Well, I think that, um, you know, I talk about in the book that, you know, it just an incredible feeling to do ballet and yeah. do his choreography. In particular, I'm certainly not um, out to, to cancel Balanchine, Balanchine choreography, um, but I, I, would, I felt like it was a bit of a straw man argument where she brought in my book in particular because um, my, my book and my reporting are really about the, the training environment and the training mm-hmm. culture. Um, and particularly about, I mean, going back to the beginning of this conversation, it's about, um, you know, for every woman who becomes a balancing dancer and gets to experience that freedom on stage, there are just dozens of girls who are never going to get that experience, but who are, um, going through, you know, kind of absorbing all of these lessons and are being, you know, are, are being really impacted by, by that. So I think right. that, you
2: know, those experiences matter. That's sort of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
3: Um, I also, I wanted to to bring up, I'm just thinking about what we were talking about, just to, even on the quote, you know, it's like how the quote mm-hmm. as it gets passed down can mean different things or
4: mm-hmm.
3: stray from the original point. Like I, I was thinking about when you talk about um, bouncing, liking Gloria Govrin's dancing, and then it said, you know, by the time by the time we were SAB, she would not have been let in the door, um, yep. and that makes me think again about like moving away from maybe what intention is like. Yeah, what do you? I guess um, I'm not funny. sure what the question is in mm-hmm. here, but, well, well, no, but I just mean, I think like
0: it, it,
4: I think it is. No, I think it's super relevant because I'm not the period that I'm focusing on is like the generation after valanchine's mm-hmm. death right. which i think was a more rigid time like i think i remember even being kind of having this like cognitive dissonance as a kid when i would look at like old footage of city ballet and see these dancers who we were supposed to be you know like emulating and they didn't look like us like they mm-hmm. they didn't look like the company at, at that time um right and that was kind of you know confusing. Yeah. i was like why are we being told to you know suffer to be even more extreme.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It is like all those Dance in America videos that we grew up I'm I'm presuming you saw those
4: too. <laughs> the, like the
3: you know all the yeah. great PBS stuff with all those mm-hmm. iconic dancers, but you're right, they do they did look different from what we were. Yeah. Um yeah.
1: I just wanted to talk mm-hmm. about like kind of this like generational conversation that we're having so there's, you know, Balanchine's time. Then there's like the generation that we grew up in kind of working for his dancers. And then soon there's going to be a time where it's our generation leading mm-hmm. the pack. And I know that Michael won't bring this up, but I'm going to bring it up for him. Um, when, And just because it's, a, I think, a good example of something like this, like when Michael was just setting increases for Justin Peck at Golden State Ballet, one of the dancers left this beautiful post, put this beautiful post on Instagram after working with him talking about Mm -hmm. like what a positive environment it was, how good it felt to be Mm -hmm. dancing like that. And I, I just think Mm -hmm. like, I wonder what we hope or what you hope in the next like 10 to 20 years that ballet can look like as it evolves with a new generation leading
4: Oh, I mean, I think I like, I feel pretty optimistic. I mean, I just think our generation is, you know, maybe just a little more conscientious, um, aware. I think we've reflected on what we experienced and are able to recognize like what we don't want to pass on. Um, you know, I think there are all there are these really positive changes with, you know, more female directors and more female choreographers. And um, yeah, I mean, probably, you know, social media has pros and cons, but probably creates a bit more accountability. Um, And yeah, I think just like, you know, I don't know. I mean, again, like, I want to hear what you guys think as people (laughs) are actively in the dance world. (laughs) I just, I guess
3: I I wanted to, like, it makes me think though, because I do think that that is true and that like we can like we always just say like don't pass the trauma on that's like our yeah.
2: right. time
3: I go to a staging my friends are just like that's first, <laughs> first, and foremost. first but then I'm like but yeah. why I mean this is not a question we can even answer but I'm like why
2: mm-hmm.
3: did that thought not occur to certain other people like why why do some people th- I mean do they think it's part of the process and that that makes you better like for me I'm always like I don't I won't I want to well, of course, I want everyone to be mentally well. And, you know, my Mm -hmm. job is also to make the best product, but they go hand in hand. And I won't, I don't want to keep anything that was harmful. And sometimes that might be, you can still be a taskmaster, you can still be hard on someone. But as long as that person later on is going to be like, you know what, that was good for me that that person was hard on me. Mm -hmm. I don't know why people can't just be like, maybe that wasn't good.
1: Well, one thing that I was thinking of when I was reading your book is I remember being told at one point, like talking about an injury and saying, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to PT or whatever and hearing like, well, we never had physical therapy. And I'm like, yeah, okay, but like, don't we want that now? Like, that's cool that we have it now, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) good improvement, you know, and it's and that's just like to me, like a very black and white situation. Like, obviously, we want to be more taken care of. But I think there that's. I mean, that's prevalent in everything, everywhere, I suppose, you know, views like that.
4: I mean, I feel like there's maybe a component of like kind of hazing mentality of like what Mm -hmm. our teachers have been through and that they associated with, you know, rigor with some of these like toxic practices. Um, I also think, you know, maybe the culture has gotten a little bit kinder, um, you know, in, in all fields.
1: Yeah. Sometimes, too, as a teacher, like I would find myself being, you know, like wanting to go into the studio in a different way than sometimes mm-hmm. I saw and then just totally losing control of the classroom, especially with younger mm-hmm. kids. And I'm like, oh, is this mm-hmm. why they were mean to us? You know, so then I get confused for a second. <laughs> yeah. I'm like,
3: yeah. I know. I, no. no, it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's, hard. it's all about balance.
1: Yeah. But
3: yeah. yeah, I think we're OK. That's good. We're all we all feel optimistic
2: <laughs> and, and we
3: all love that ballet um I guess as the last question Alice are you writing anything now do you have a book that you are um you know working towards Mm
4: -hmm. um yeah well actually I'm still I'm writing a few little pieces about ballet just some little journalism pieces um and then I am working my first two books were both in like each was in a different genre the first was science journalism this one is sort of Narrative nonfiction, memoir-ish, um, and I won't say what it's about, but I'll say the third one hopefully will be in yet another genre. <laughs> ah,
1: nice. a big smile on your face—you must be very excited about what you're working on. To you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining us today.
4: Thank you so much.
1: Conversations on Dance is part of the ACAST Creator Network. For more information, visit conversationsondancepodpod.com.